Hey you going guys, Dano here. Now before we get into our special bonus interview today with Simpsons executive producer, Mr. Matt Salmon, just want to remind you guys that we appreciate your support that you've given us over the past four years. Thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. And if you want to give back to the show, you can do so by becoming a Four Finger Discount patron at patreon.com slash discount, where for as little as $1, you'll get access to a bunch of exclusive content. We've got bonus Simpsons reviews of future episodes. We've got Tales of Futurama podcast, uh, my Nerd Daddy podcast, which is co-hosted by Nicola, where we just talk about, you know, being new parents and whatnot and just the latest nerdy stuff that's going on in my life. Uh, the Movie Guys podcast, where we review movies from past and present. The Mitch and Dando show, I'm calling it at the moment. It's a new show that Mitch and I have just launched. We basically turn on the mics and just see what comes out for an hour. So the Mitch and Dando show, we'll just call it that for, for, for now. Uh, also, our soon-to-come Talking Seinfeld podcast, as well as a new podcast Nicola and I are starting, the one about the Friends podcast. So if you like Friends, make sure you sign up to get access to that as well. Also, not only podcasts, you'll also get access to a bunch of exclusive behind-the-scenes videos, access to our Four Finger Discount Facebook group, and on top of all that, you'll also get your name read out on the show. So like I said, if you want to give back to the show and show your support for as little as $1 a month, go to patreon.com slash discount. Or if you don't want to, that's fine as well. Just keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate the fact that you just listen at all. So thank you once again, guys, and I hope you enjoy my interview with Simpsons executive producer, Mr. Matt Salmon. Thanks again, and I'll catch you guys next time. Cheers. Hey, this is Matt Selman from seasons 9 to 31 of The Simpsons, all your favorite seasons, and you're listening to Four Finger Discount. Four Finger Discount, dude. Welcome to Four Finger Discount, where today I'm very lucky to be joined by a man who after a brief stint writing for Seinfeld, went on to join The Simpsons, where he has remained for the past two decades, moving up from writer to now executive producer. I'm, of course, talking about the one and only Matt Salmon. Matt, thanks for your time. How's things? Hey, uh, things are good. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem at all. All gearing up for season 31, premiere this week, I'm assuming? Yep, season premiere. premiere. I can't say it the way you say it. How do you say it? Premiere. Premiere. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Is it this Sunday? Uh, September 29th. So it's the coming, yeah, the coming week. Yeah. Right. We have the premiere party is on Wednesday, the 25th, American Los Angeles time at Universal Studios Hollywood. Mm. So that should be good. I will be eating the Cletus's fried chicken, which I really like. How often do you guys get to go visit that Universal Studio setup? Because I've been there once and it was like a dream come true. <laughs> Usually just the once. Usually they're just the premiere party. I really like it. I think it's fun. I think the ride holds up, even though the animation CG is kind of old gen. I really like the food court there. I like the zest and gusto of the detail that we put into our little world. is is pretty fun for me. Yeah. In particular, I do like Barney in, uh, in Moe's and Chief Wiggum there by the donut stand. Do you, think the, um, do you think that area will ever get somewhat of an upgrade, like a new ride or anything? Or do you think that what's there is there now? I think what's there is there now. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. <laughs> here's the thing. We love Universal. We are now owned by Disney. Yeah. So Disney is not going to be super keen on upgrading Universal, in my opinion. Well, that's what I was going to lead to. I was going to say, do you think we'll ever see a, a Simpsons section at Disneyland? Is that the, the idea down the track? or? I would think Disney is awesome at squeezing money out of things they own. <laughs> exactly right. Really good. <laughs> so I doubt it would be in Florida or LA for a long a while because our deals at Universal are kind of 
mean that we're they can't open up competing rides of the same brand in the same city. Yeah. And those are like long term deals because uh, I'm yeah. building a lot. A ride is like a big investment. But I mean, Disney has parks all around the world, and I'm, I'm just speculating. But I mean, how fun would it be to have a Simpsons, a new Simpsons ride at Disneyland Paris? We have tons of fans in Europe, particularly England and Ireland, and we, I think it'd be a huge draw for them. And I would love to see what kind of new, you know, 2022 or technology imagineered Simpsons ride they could come up with. That'd be so fun. Yeah, because I think you can't underestimate just how popular The Simpsons still is, in particular the UK. We have so many listeners and fans from the UK. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Where are you again? We're in Australia. We're in Australia, right. Yeah. Australia is not part of the UK. Not kind of, but not really. No, we're not. No, we're from the other. It's a 21-hour flight. My wife's from England, so I know exactly how far away it is when I have to go visit family. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is it strange for you that America's most dysfunctional family is now a part of Disney? Um... I don't know. I mean, we've always been part of mega corporations. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I think that Disney's probably less evil than <laughs> probably. You know, all corporations are suspect, probably in one way or another. But I know I'm just curious to see what happens. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So hopefully, we'll be the backbone of the Disney Plus app, and people will just stream and stream and stream and stream us and then we're suddenly relevant in the world of, of streaming where before we weren't. With the Disney app though, I feel there are so many people, especially some of my friends, who are buying it just to get access to the Simpsons streaming. Well, that's the dream, right? I don't even know when... Do you know when it goes live in Australia? I know it goes live in two months, but I don't know whether the Simpsons is going to be on it straight away, which is pretty disappointing. They haven't officially announced it for Australia yet, but hopefully, fingers crossed, we get it eventually. I think there's some stuff they got to work out with other people who also have Simpsons Australia. They got to work that out. Yeah, yeah, because we've got a, a a pay TV provider called Foxtel down here, and they've had it for you know since the very beginning, back in the mid '90s. So I'm sure they don't want to let up the Simpsons. Right, but for this is just streaming in America. The Simpsons will still be on FXX. And it will even be on this channel we have here called Freeform, which used to be some other ABC family network. Now it's called Freeform, which is a word that I don't know what it means. But we'll also be on that. And that's cable TV. I'm excited. I like being corporate mergers and crazy end-of-the-world consolidation. <laughs> well, I think it's great because like you said, so many. I think it's like a whole new generation of kids will probably discover The Simpsons as a result just flicking through Disney+. Plus. Well, that's our that's our main main goal. We really really value and our kids, you know, kind of like, sort of like age fourth grade to eighth grade, like that's when they really discover it now and they really dig it and they can watch it with their parents who also grew up on it because the show is unnaturally long. So I really want it to, to be a family coming together experience, the way that nothing else is. I mean, obviously. Like you can watch Back to the Future with your kids and say, I love this when I was a kid, but there's nothing continuously produced that spreads generations the way we do. Exactly. One of the things, I've just had a son, he's just turned one. One of the things I cannot wait for is for him to discover The Simpsons and just for myself to live vicariously through him and sort of discover the show once again. Right. And then make you can make him listen to all your podcasts about it. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Son, now the now you've seen the show, you get to see the hear the podcast. Here us di dissecting the show. Yes. <laughs> what do you think is the Simpsons' recipe for such longevity? Because you've just outlived everybody. I don't know, man. It's I just one day at a time. I just take it one day at a time. I just get try to get excited for every episode I do, and make it special or interesting to me. 
that's my goal to, to think about every show is, you know, the I really embrace the Groundhog Day style reality of the show in that you don't really have continuity. If all 700 of these things had really happened to one family, they'd all be in an insane asylum, hmm. right? So you just have to kind of reset each one at the beginning with the basic DNA of the show intact of the family and think of each story as kind of a little movie that happens to those people in that emotional situation. That makes sense? Yeah, definitely. Now, now that you're executive producer on the show, could you maybe give our listeners a bit of an insight into what that role actually entails? Well, listeners, if you imagine me sitting by myself at a keyboard writing, that is not what I do. I'm more like I get excited about an idea and I'm like, let's do an episode about this. And then I get the gang together and the men and women of the show talk about the idea. And is this a good idea? Is it worthy? Can we make it into a story? Have we done it before? Or have we hope have we not done most of it before? Yes. <laughs> that must be it must be so hard and frustrating trying to come up with an episode that you haven't already done before. I guess it is, but like for me that's not the hardest thing. The hardest thing because like emotionally, you can tell the same story again and again. Mm. Homer and Lisa bond or have a conflict. Bart and Lisa, Marge and Homer. Like you have to repeat those emotional conflicts again and again. There's no way around it. But there's always a new venue or world event with which to do it. Like obviously, Homer and Marge are going to have fights. They're not going to get divorced. Homer's not going to die. Bart and Lisa are going to forgive each other, et cetera, et cetera. But like I don't have a huge problem with that. Maybe because I just forgot all the other episodes. <laughs> do you prefer those more emotional beat episodes or do you prefer the wackiness, like a Marge versus Monorail style episode like Conan used to write? I like a good balance. So you want like some small, intimate ones and you want some big, crazy ones. You want some South Parky, you know, satirical ones or some family, quirky Bob Burgers ones. You know, sometimes you just try to like have each season, you know, mix it up a little bit. Yeah. I do like the small stories that like could happen to a real family, you know, you just happen to see it animated. And then I also like crazy ones where robots are taking over the school and conspiracies are happening and that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, the Swats World of Stuff some of my favorite. <laughs> you seem to be able to find a good blend between that emotional stuff and, and the, the wacky robot scenes as well, like you said, yeah. Right. I mean, I probably don't do as much wacky stuff as you guys enjoy in the sort of beloved classic years. By the way, congratulations. I forgot to mention at the start on our, your Emmy win, by the way. Yeah, that was unexpected. Was it? Yeah. So, do you go into those things never expecting to win? Yeah, I didn't I didn't go. Oh, <laughs> okay. I was like, we're not going to win this. And then I was like, oh, yeah, the food. And then I remembered the food was pretty good at the party. So, I, I started to drive there. And then I, they texted me in the car that we won. And I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty good. I think what happened is like the cool young show split the vote. And like grandpa snuck in the door. <laughs> all us old folks who still watch the show i say old in our 30s just you know just hammered it down because the simpsons are sort of i think particularly from say like simpsons meme pages in social media i've had like a new lease on life like it's like everyone's just going back and re-watching and re-loving the show all over again i hope so i mean there's a lot of good ones in there a lot of weird ones but there's a lot of good ones and like i still I mean, i've been doing this for so long it's it's that was probably a mistake letting me do this for so long, but whatever. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Can't go back in time. I still, I'm like super pumped about episodes we have coming up. And I, so, I mean, I really am. That's not just like stuff you say, like, cause you're, you have to, like, I really, okay. I'm going to talk. Can I tell you about one? I mean, I have one I'm so excited for. Yeah. 
Because like I love everyone loves the Halloween episodes, right? Of course, yes. For like crazy reasons, I've never written one, I've never produced one, but I love the format. I love trilogies. I love violence. I love tension. I love those kind of fun visual parodies. So I'm like, what other holidays can be of horror? So we're doing a Thanksgiving of horror that is super awesome. Wow, it's super violent. It's super crazy. It's super scary. Kids are going to be traumatized by it. And it's it's actually super long. We're airing it like bonus length, mega long. I don't know if they'll do that in Australia or not. That sounds fantastic. But you can always stream the long version. That's the kind of thing I feel the show needs to do is just try some new stuff. Because I I particularly, and Mitch as well, we really enjoyed that uh, the Halloween of horror, I think it was called, a couple of seasons back. Where it was was set at Halloween, but it wasn't a treehouse of horror. I thought that episode was incredible. Thank you. Thank you. That's a good like sort of snapshot of how I produce the show, which is I was like, we've never done a Halloween show that wasn't part of the trilogy. Mm. We've never done a real life Halloween. That was the genesis of that, right? Let's tell a scary real life story that takes place on Halloween, but isn't the treehouse horror. And then I take that, I just, that basic, that's not a story. That's just a premise, right? I take that into the rewrite room. And I partnered with a great writer, Carolyn Omine, another veteran. And we started saying, like, how can we tell this into, like, an emotional story that really could happen? Because everyone loves Halloween, but we never do Halloween except the crazy trilogies. And, you know, that is a Halloween-y episode. Like, there's eight different kinds of Halloween in it. School Halloween. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to listen. There's, like, eight different Halloweens. You yeah, check you them people, people are breaking into the house or whatnot. I remember I sat down with my wife because she's not huge into The Simpsons. And um, well, she has to now that she's married to me. But I sat her down. I showed her that episode, and she thought it was genuinely scary at moments. Like it was so good. Right, and like, what is it like for a kid to see that your parents are scared? That's yeah. a gr- that's real. You know, that's like a real thing. That I felt like we hadn't done that, and at least we probably had. But like to really be emotionally real, like what's it like to be a kid in a real life scary situation and look at your parents and say, "Oh my God, my parent is also scared." Where like, you know, earlier in that episode, Homer wasn't scared by the Halloween horror night at the theme park. He didn't impact him at all. But then, you know, he was truly scary. Scared. Yeah, that, mo- that moment in the attic was the best moment in the episode, in my opinion. So that episode should have won an Emmy. I can't believe it didn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably like Peng- Penguins of Madagascar won or something dumb like that. Was that where you were driving in going, we've got this one? <laughs> I really thought it's got family. It's got emotion. It's got eight different kinds of Halloween. I really thought we had one great, great animation, great music. I loved, I loved the thing about Lisa had the kind of kid animal Taylee that yep. like was a crutch, and we just kind of, I don't know. I'm gonna watch that again today. I'm gonna make my kids watch it. Do it because it, it's it really is one of the better later episode seasons that I've that I've seen. It was great stuff. All I want is better later. <laughs> it's all I was, it's all I dream of every day. It, it's a, uh, it's been. Almost a decade since you had your last win at the Emmys. Where does this one lie for you? You know, being voted best animated series in a time where there are just so many other animated series for viewers to choose from now. I just, I don't know. The Emmys are great. I, but like to me, way better than an Emmy is for someone like you or like one of my TV writer friends or someone I went to college with to see a new episode and go, hey, that was really good. I really like that. That's literally more valuable to me. The most valuable thing. Not strangers on the internet. Not Emmy voters in a closet, but like people I know who I respect, who are smart, if they see it and think it's good, with all the TV out there to choose from, the millions and billions of choices, if they like it, that's the, the most gratifying thing. 
Well, I, I don't know what's changed, whether, whether you've changed staff or whatnot, but the consensus, particularly with our fans, has been season 30 has been one of the better seasons in a long time. I hope so. They all kind of blend together for me at this point, but I really love doing it. Like, I'm so, I have like a lot coming up, <laughs> a lot of stuff coming up. What else can I tell you? Anything cool? Well, I know, I know for a fact that it's been like teased that there's a second Simpsons movie coming out. I'm sure a plot's been, I'm not, not asking for the plot, but I'm sure you guys are in the, the baby stages of that, yeah? Well, we're in the kind of waiting for Disney to tell us what they want to do stages of that, I would say. Okay, yeah, 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 fair enough. Well, how do they want to do that? Because now it's all in their hands. Exactly, okay. How has the, the production process changed with Disney now in charge? I mean, do they put their fingerprints on things or do they just kick back and say, you guys know what you're doing, you've been doing it for 30 years, just keep steering that ship? That's, nothing has really changed other than we just have different meetings <laughs> where we worry about things. But like the, the production is the same. Disney doesn't interfere creatively. They're, I think they know it's smart to just let us do what we do. Like we've made fun of Disney so much in the 30 years of the show. Like we tried to put a clip reel together of just all the times the show has made fun of Disney to just show at that D23 Disney convention. That's like Comic-Con for Disney fans. Yeah, yeah. And we realized we probably had like literally three and a half hours of solid Disney <laughs> If you showed everything, and so we just cut it down to two minutes. You even made fun of them in the first Simpsons movie, I believe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And everyone was, they were too scared to put that joke in the clip reel. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, because I mean, Disney owns so many licenses now, do you have more freedom to parody certain things or to have characters from other sort of franchises be involved with The Simpsons, or do you just try to steer away from that? I don't know. There's always nervous lawyers saying, don't do this, don't <laughs> do that. Like, don't really understand... Or they don't, the lawyers don't, not that they don't understand, they don't really care what the parent laws of parody or free use are. But, oh my God, my wife just sent me an email that she wants me to go to a play instead of going to the Emmy party Sunday night. What? Are you kidding me? Are you nuts? What's the play? Is it a good play though? I have no idea what the play is. <laughs> I took a lucky dip. <laughs> the thing where she subscribes to the whole season, like I'm going to subscribe to the whole season of play, then you end up going to none of them. Because like... <laughs> But are you at the are you at the point now in your marriage where you can just say no and have no fear of repercussions? Or say I'm still in the baby stages, so if I say no, I'm getting in trouble. Oh no, I am going to get in trouble. No, that's not going to change. <laughs> okay, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> oh no, I mean look, you had a good run of being able. To- <laughs> your wife gave you a child out of permanently for your process for you to create a child. The process for her to create a child are very different. Oh, we, we didn't do anything. <laughs> All equity after the child is born is out the window. <laughs> That's why when I get home from work, I just sit the look in her eyes and she just hands him to me. I go, yeah, it's all right. I understand. You just, you just go for a walk. <laughs> There's no, you just got to go all, you got to be all in. You got to drink the Kool-Aid. How old were your kids before they realized that, hey, my dad works for the Simpsons? I guess they always knew, but yeah. they take it for granted. Yeah. Although, yeah, they're, they, they do, they call they still call it the Simpsons. Isn't that adorable? They're like teenagers. The Simpsons. Wow. It's like my sister calls spaghetti Pischetti still. <laughs> yeah, it's like Pischetti. They've, they've held on to their Pischetti pronunciation. That's kind of cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's no secret that uh, you know, The Simpsons can take up to nine months for an episode to be produced. With such a, a hectic schedule, how often do you get to just kick back and re-watch the show, if at all? And if you do, like, what, what episodes are your go-to? Do you have some favorites from the past or is it just all one big show to you now? Well, what's funny is uh, I like to make my kids watch the old shows, but they are so young and dumb. They think they don't like the look of the old animation, which I think is great. Don't you hate that? 
I love the show. Don't get me wrong. But if I could recapture the soft, hand-drawn quality of the original seasons and somehow reproduce that, I would be the happiest producer in the world because the the warmth and adorableness of the show in the kind of classic years was so magic in the cuteness of it. And it's just really hard to replicate that using computers. So computers give us some things in terms of animation, flexibility and adding jokes and making changes like they're much more, much more powerful creatively. But there was a soul to the look of, you know, your classic shows that it's just it's lost, you know, and that's too bad. But what are you going to do? 100%. I remember when I came to the studio and I was talking to Rob and he was just saying, whilst it's great, it also means that you have to like, animate so many things just to fill the screen out. Right. Like in the background. And sometimes I feel, um, sometimes you feel you're watching it and it's almost a bit too much happening because the, maybe they felt like they had to fill the background out with gags happening in the background. Like I, like you said, I like those older episodes where it's just focusing on what's most important. It's got that, that ratio where it's not widescreen. It's just the aesthetic is, is great. You know, we all we all know classic years. There's something magic to it. There, there was a magic then, and there's like a different kind of magic now. Yeah, yeah. Do you think? Do you think in a, a future episode, maybe you can just for a one-off go back and just hand draw the whole thing and have the ratio different? Would Disney be down with that, or is that just a big no-no now? Well, the, literally, the technology doesn't exist anymore. Ah, okay. To like the people in Korea who would do all those drawings and all the the acetate that they would draw and paint on, like that the materials no longer exist and the cameras that would photograph it don't exist. But I like that idea. And I've actually thought about that of trying to like force a four to three look on with a little bit of blurring and computer trickery to try to do that. I, I think that's a good idea. Maybe it, it would have to be in, in conjunction with like a premise that made sense too. Maybe just a flashback episode. Once you hit the flashback, it, the ratio changes. Right. It's a, definitely a cool idea. Yeah. Okay. You've been on the show for over 20 years now. Can you recall the first idea that you ever pitched and how intimidating was it, you know, pitching an idea to such legends in the TV world? I was so dumb back then. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I think the first joke I got on the show was in the Halloween of Horror 9, where like Homer is the only man left on earth. Oh, that was Transfire 8, I believe, the Omega Man, yeah? Omega Man and I was a joke and like what movie is he watching and it's Chris Farley and David Spade with some bees I think that was the first joke I got onto the show okay the first episode you wrote or you worked on was Natural Born Kisses which right. gonna be honest we just reviewed that one and I forgot how great that was because as an adult you can appreciate it from a whole new perspective no I mean honestly look I mean everything we do is super rewritten on the show and that episode no different that episode is one of the best examples of terrific collaboration between George Meyer and Mike Scully in t like how they really nailed it. Like all that marriage stuff you guys were talking about. I just rewatched that scene that I tweeted you about, the, the like under the cover scene. Like I wasn't married then. Like I didn't relate to that. That was all like Mike and George and the other writers writing that stuff. And I just think it's, it's I, sh I thought it's so funny. I love that show. Oh, it's so, it was incredible. Yeah, I, like it's that's the beauty of The Simpsons is that you watch it as a kid, you laugh at certain things, you watch it as an adult, and the stuff you the stuff you once found funny, you don't really find as funny anymore. But there's a whole new there's all these new gags that you didn't even realize were there because they were straight over your, over your head when you were a child. Right, and I really have a weakness as a producer to. I think I write Homer a little smarter than people want him to be. They want him to be like super dumb, not like mean dumb, but like pretty dumb. And I kind of like him to be more like an actual dad who's dumb, who's also dumb. No, that's, that's in my opinion, that's the best version of Homer. Yeah. He thinks what I think, and he is observant about parenting just in his selfish, lazy way. Yeah, yeah. 
But I like it when he says things that I think or that we think about parenting or about work. Like Homer is, he is dumb, but he can also be smart. Who, who do you think is the, the backbone of the show? Is it Bart or is it Homer? It's got to be Homer now, right? I think it's Homer. Although we're really trying to, especially now, like we're talking about trying to make the show hook into like fourth graders, say 10 year olds. To really make sure we have at least a couple episodes a year where we let Bart be Bart and he's like a bad boy and he's obnoxious and he's anarchic and rebellious and really turn into that and make sure that he's still a boy. Is that a new directive? Because like you're sort of saying you're focusing now on fourth graders. Is that like a new thing or has it always been focused on that age and hopefully slip in some jokes for the, for the adults as well? Well, we write for ourselves. For sure, but I do think I want kids to like this episode. I mean, I certainly I have one coming up that I can't tell you what it's about that Disney is not going to be happy about. Oh wow, that's ins- how far into the season can we be expecting this one? It is season. It is episode ten of season thirty-one, so okay. it'll be like April or March over here. Keep an eye out for that one then. <laughs> but then I have one in February, America time. Do you guys have the same months as us? I'm not sure. I think they're just upside down. Okay. So in February, so in a hot summer episode for you guys, I have a big kind of superhero movie Avengers Bart goes crazy Avengersy tie-in episode. That's super classic Bart is a jerk episode. I know you can't say much, but do we get a cameo from Batman? No. Damn it. <laughs> do not have a cameo from Batman, but we have a lot of other superhero stuff in it. A lot of Mar. This was even before the merger, but. There's a lot of Marvel voices from the Marvel movies and the people behind the scenes of the Marvel movies in this episode also. Fantastic. That sounds great. And I'm very excited about it. Well, I mentioned earlier that you you originally started on Seinfeld. You did that one script and then you jumped to The Simpsons. What were some of the changes yet to make in regards to your writing style, do you think, when jumping from one show to the other? Well, like Seinfeld was like a complete disaster for me and I screwed it up and got fired. So that was bad. Oh, you got fired. Wow. Well, you know, they, they, were, they were right to do it. They were right. <laughs> but the shows are done entirely differently. One is Seinfeld was you go sit in your office by yourself, and then once a week you would go pitch ideas to Larry Seinfeld, excuse me, Larry Seinfeld and Jerry David, <laughs> whatever their names are. Like, and that was very, that's not like, that's not how I like to work, even though it, I didn't know that at the time. I like to be in the room with the gang working it out. I like the scrum, mm-hmm. to put it in rugby terms, right? your beloved rugby. And uh, that's to me fun. It's not about writing by yourself and then thinking, this is great. It's how can the team make this better? How can the collaboration enhance this? And that's just my style. Obviously there's great writers who work other ways. I don't even consider myself a great anything. I just feel like I'm a passionate producer who loves to team up with other writers and figure out the funniest ways to tell stories that we care about. Well, it must have been heaven when you walked into The Simpsons, because that's exactly how they do things, right? Right. I mean, it took me a couple of you know, months, whatever, to kind of ease into it. And when you work at the same place for 20 years, you really have a lot of time to ease into stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, d- describe the atmosphere of the writer's room at The Simpsons from, say, 97 to, to now. Well, you know, Mike Scully ran it for four years, mm. and now Al has been running it for the rest. And I'm lucky that I get to kind of produce my own episodes within the Al regime, which is like just the greatest deal in the world. Because I get to be helpful to Al and try to help him and like assist him in whatever ways he wants. And then I also get to do the shows that I sort of produce from head to toe with everyone. And like it's, it's, it's a fantastic deal. 
And this we come in every day. I usually send an email to the writers every morning saying, this is what we're be working on today. And then we just try to get as much done as we can and then go home because you work all year round. So I do like going home. Oh, yes. There's nothing better. Until, unless you come home to a, a crying baby and it's like, oh, okay, here we go. Round two. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah, you're still in the, you have a crying baby. Yeah, yeah. But Al Jean, by the way, what an unsung hero. The man is a genius. He is a special guy. He really brings something geniusy and hilarious to the show. And he is an un, an unending source of amazement to me every day that he can keep doing it so well. Yeah. You know, one thing I've noticed actually in recent years is that guest stars seem to have become like common practice with the show. In fact, I looked up season 30 out of the all the episodes, I think it was 23 episodes, the only one that wasn't featuring a guest star was a Trias of Horror. Like, how, how far into the writing process are guest stars incorporated? Do the writing staff now write an episode with a star in mind or do they write episodes and then see where they can fit in a guest, a guest star? Well, usually, sometimes we write it with someone in mind. Oh, that just reminds me, just reminded me of something that I forgot. Wait, you I was going to... Oh, that's right. So I have a part that I'm going to try to offer to Michael Palin. Ooh. And I, hopefully he's still in a mind space where he would do that. How does the offer process go down? Do you just, just an email? Do Is it a private phone call? What, what's the process? I have a casting producer who kind of handles it. Okay, yeah. Although sometimes I just reach out on Twitter. If it's like if there's too many agents and managers in between, you know, like we just wrote in our in this Thanksgiving of horror episode, there's a, a big black mirror. One of the chunks like a black mirror parody mm-hmm. love letter. And I just tweeted to Charlie Brooker, the creator of Black Mirror, hey, would you want to do a line in that to kind of as a kind of Easter egg to the fans? And he was like, of course. And so Wednesday he was here for the Emmys. He came and we recorded him. We hung out with Charlie Brooker from Black Mirror and his producing partners. It was like fantastic. Because you guys are the Simpsons, right? You know, everyone loves the Simpsons. When a celebrity goes, you know what? I haven't really got the time to do that. Are you shocked? Yes, I'm shocked. <laughs> Does that happen very often? Someone just did it. I can't say who, obviously. That okay, would be yeah. Yeah, yeah. Un- uncool of me, but my brain kind of exploded. Yeah, that's, that's bizarre. I can't imagine anyone not wanting to be on The Simpsons. You know, like, maybe they're busy. Ah, how could it be too busy for The Simpsons? What is, what is interesting is people who've been in show business for a long time come in to record their lines, and I think they're surprised that they're nervous. It kind of hits them when they get here, and we're just a bunch of dorks, like... <laughs> We're like, yeah, how you doing? Good to see you. This is so exciting. Thanks for doing it. But then they're like, wow, this is this is the real deal. Yeah, yeah. This is like the, the top. This is The Simpsons, yeah. I mean, as close as there is to like animation voice immortality, I guess this is it, right? I have to agree, yeah. If have a functioning society with functioning streaming services, this is probably going to be part of it, right? Yep, 100%. I make no guarantees about the future existing. But if it does, we'll probably be there. Do you prefer to have guest stars play themselves or a character you guys have created from the Simpsons universe? Character. Way better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But I I feel there's a lot of cameos now. I just wish, because back in, say, like the the 90s, like the episodes that we've been reviewing for the podcast, some of the characters you wouldn't even know have guest voices unless you watch the credits. They do such a good job. Right. No, like we just, we have in the season premiere, we have um, John Mulaney. Mm. And he's a big, really funny part. And we don't want this to be... John Mulaney, what are you doing at Springfield Elementary? And my van broke, my comedy van broke down. <laughs> I need to like do stand-up comedy for gas money. Like that, that's like really hokey, right? Like you want to write a, if they're a good actor, even if there's a comedian or you really want to write a part for them. And that, that's the thing, like when you, for, in particular, if you're writing for a comedian per se, how great is the feeling knowing that you've written something that they find funny? 
or at least that they act like they think it's funny. Exactly. That's yeah. Oh, <laughs> I really care about. I always think I think it's funnier than me. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pro- maybe I'm bad. Don't rule that out. Um, no, we just had. Are you familiar with the American actor Michael Rapport? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, Gary from Friends, right? <laughs> we wrote a giant Rapport episode. It's coming up, like the Rapportiest <laughs> Rapport thing, and I think it's turned out great. He enjoyed it. He did. Well, he was shocked that we that anyone would study him carefully enough to write an episode. <laughs> it's, probably, it's a massive privilege. <laughs> we we know more about his persona than anything. It's almost like a reverse. I describe it as a reverse Frank Grimes episode, but not in a self-aware way. Where like Frank Grimes was about the one guy who sees that Homer is an incompetent and everyone else in town is blind to it, right? He's like someone from the real world entering Springfield, basically, yeah. Right. This is the opposite. This is like where this is the one person who actually thinks Homer is great. And he's not used to being looked up to. You said you'd love to have um, John Cleese on the show. What type of ideas did you have in mind for him? Cleese? I don't know. He's so intimidating. I think he also wants to get paid like a million billion dollars for everything. So, oh, really? Palin. I'm gonna go for Palin first. Yes. <laughs> always my favorite. Palin is my favorite, and I can't believe it this long. But I have a we have kind of a funny professor character that he would be great for if he would do it. Please, Michael, if you're out there listening to Simpsons podcasts, please consider this part. I was thinking if you had place on the show, you could perhaps do like a, a Faulty Towers esque parody. Maybe Homer works at the at the hotel or something. That would be great, although, although that, that kind of farce is hard to write. Misunderstandings and door slamming and uh, that kind of stuff is always – people think it's lowbrow, but it, it's a real clockwork art form. Yeah. I, I even wrote a line once on the show. In the, do you remember the show um, Lisa the Tree Hugger? Yes. Yeah, she becomes the – she makes the, the, the super vegan. Yes. And Homer – everyone thinks Lisa is dead. I would never, by the way, I would never have written that after I had kids. Like yep. to, the idea that it's funny that a parent would briefly think her child is dead. That's insane. Mm. What was I? Thinking? I'm a monster. Uh, there's a line in that where Homer says his family has had never had anything but bad luck when it comes to parse. And I <laughs> sort of think he's right. Did Marge? <laughs> I got to watch that again. Does Marge? How long does Marge believe Lisa to be dead? I, I, I guess a good portion of like half the second was it the second second ad break where they think she's dead? Or was it the first number ad break? of times where the parents don't know where the kids are? Like in that rap episode, they think Bart's been kidnapped, and you, you, if you think your parent, your kid has hurt, broken their, twisted their ankle for five minutes, you're in agony. You got a runny nose, yeah, there trying to save them. <laughs> no, you're you can't help it, and like the idea, of like we put those characters through that unbearable torture is uh, reprehensible, but we did it. Did becoming a dad change the way you wrote the show? Yeah, well, that's that's the main way. Like, I I was much more cavalier about the parenting, not caring if the parents knew the kids were okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you've also been um, a writer. I've been really looking forward to asking this. A writer on many of the Simpsons video games, most notably my favorite, Simpsons Hit and Run, which today Everyone is still loves Hit and Run. It's it's literally my favorite game of all time. What do you like about? it? Well, it's basically see. I'm terrible at video games, right? I'm not a I'm not a gamer per se, but it's just I feel that's the game where it really encompasses the Springfield universe, where you can just if you don't, if you don't want to play the story mode, you can just venture around Springfield, and no other game offers that besides maybe that that PC game Virtual Springfield from the early '90s. But this game here, it's just it was everything that I wanted as a Simpsons fan. Like, do you realistically ever see a sequel 
to this game or perhaps a remake like Crash Bandicoot and Spyro have had recently? Because I'm telling you, it's money sitting on the table. Well, problem I wouldn't get any of that money regardless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've had a good run here, but I don't have ownership of the show. So I'm not motivated to make the company's extra money. I'm, I'm motivated to make episodes that I love because that's the most gratifying thing. But hey, I love that you love that game and I love that it's a cult hit. I remember, and I've made, told this story before, that they just wanted it to be a driving game. Like Grand Theft Auto 3, remember the first GTA? Mm-hmm. That ever, that, well, not the first, but <laughs> the first one that really broke through. Yeah, yeah. It just come out and they were like, well, let's do a knockoff of that. And I'm like, well, if you're doing a knockoff of that, they have to get out of the cars. They, they did, whoever, EA, whoever the company was, they did not want the characters to get out of the cars. I'm like, they can't do missions if they can't get out of the cars. There's a huge battle about the cars. That's the best part about the game is the fact that you can get out and just roam around. Yeah, and there's tons of insane... If you really go deep into that game, there's random character conversations that are really funny. Even like billboards, there's this, yeah, there's so many hidden Easter eggs. It's just, it literally is the like the epitome of Simpsons game. Do you, do you think we'll ever have another Simpsons game in the future, or is it just tapped out? Is that is, is that is that all? Is that what we're getting now? I definitely tapped out. Hopefully, I mean, I'm proud of Tapped Out too, even though I don't play it and I don't work on it because I don't care about it. But I am proud <laughs> of it, and I, I I love that it became way more successful than they ever thought. Like they just thought, oh, this will be around for like a year and that'll be great, but. It's it's ten years. It's more than it's twelve years old, right? No, no, it's not that old. Two thousand and nine, I think it started, didn't it? Maybe a little bit later. It is like people love it. I've heard the story that kids have said to their parents, like, "Hey, mom, dad, do you know that there's a TV show based on Tapped Out?" <laughs> really? Is that is that upsetting to you though? <laughs> uh, it's The Simpsons. Anything ironic or messed up, I like. Yeah. Okay. Or disturbing or sad, I enjoy. But I mean, like, I love Hit and Run. It is a crazy game. I mean, would, if we just ported it so that you could play it on another more advanced system, would that be good or would you just think oh, that was... Oh, 100%. If we could play that on PS4, mate, that would be like a dream come true. All right, I'll work on it. Oh, thank you so much because honestly, it's it's like my favorite game ever. Well, what's a Simpsons video game you'd love to work on in the future? Do you, do you, you've said like you're not really interested because you don't really, you're not going to make money from it, but just say you were going to make a million dollars from designing a Simpsons game. Where would you take it? Money isn't my only motivation. I just, <laughs> I'm so exhausted. I just ever I care so much about every episode that like I that's the most important thing to me. Everything else is less important. But they are working on another game. I just don't know what the premise is or if it'll ever come out. Ooh, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a console game. Okay. I mean, it's hard to get the actors to want to do it because they're really they don't want to pay the actors a ton of money usually. And then the actors see this giant stack of dialogue that's like four Bibles thick, <laughs> right? And they're like, oh, God, I have to do like 50. Like Dan Castnett has to do like 20 pained noises as Groundskeeper Willie, 20 jumping noises as Groundskeeper Willie. And like, you know, so like oh, 20 different kinds of noises as 20 different characters. And they're just like, why? Well, surely I've said all these words in the past. Can't you just take it from that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if we could repurpose dialogue from the show and make that into a video game, that'd be the best way to do it. Have you ever actually repurposed dialogue for an episode? Um, just in little ways, like occasionally, like there's a Homer yell. We have like kind of libraries of like kind of does and yells and pain noises and bark chuckles and mur- large murmurs. So not really dialogue, but more like just noises. If you need it at the final audio mix, you can kind of grab it from the history. 
remember in, in a, you know, natural born kisser's grandpa goes, here comes two. Yes. Like I think that we brought that back. I mean, it's, it's up to us. Like if we have enough energy to remember the things we did and then reuse them, we can do it. Do you sometimes have lines? Cause I thought that line in particular, you type that in a piece of paper, it's just words, but it's the delivery that makes it so great. How often have you written something and that the actors have just been able to just make it just like smash it out of the park and make it so much funnier than you ever imagined? Well, I would say every time, but yeah. like, again, I don't typically write things on a piece of paper. I typically say them out loud and other writers either laugh or don't laugh when I say them. It's more like talking. Yeah. <laughs> my job is more, my job is talking, not typing. So only, only the good stuff hits the, hits the paper. <laughs> you know, and like, when we have table reads and, you know, I mean, you see them, the actors do it. And sometimes we'll do like an internal table read before the actor table read with the writers doing the voices. And that's so we kind of get a sense of it. And then, some, you know, Dan Castellaneta, who's a writer on the show, also one day a week, will sometimes be there that day. And we're like, Dan, you don't have to read Homer. This is like, you're not, this, you're writing today. You're not acting. And he's like, no, no, I'll do it. He's like, I mean, Dan is the, Dan Castellaneta is the menchiest mensch. That's a Jewish word meaning nice guy. <laughs> I don't have Jewish people in Australia, but you probably have some funny name for them. No, <laughs> you can no. pitch on Um <laughs> But like he is such a pro, he comes to almost every. I would say he comes to every table read. He works as a writer. He's unflappable. He is like the beating heart and soul of the show, you know. In, in as much as anyone is, like I, I mean, all the cast is fantastic. But like you know, Homer is the heart of the show. That's the answer to your question. You know, Homer is the heart. What's the thing I've noticed from doing this podcast for the last few years and speaking to some people is that everyone who works on the show loves the show. Well, if you didn't, you'd go insane and kill yourself. Exactly right. But I think that's that maybe that's the key to longevity is that everyone who's there really wants to be there. I think so. And I really – I love working with the animators and driving over to the Fox Animation offices and like hanging out with them is really fun. And like they'll pitch stuff and like, oh, yeah, that's a better way to do it and like really enhances the process. I love to collaborate is what I'm saying. That's my style. Yeah. Like, who can I collaborate with? I love going over with the artists. I love the writers. I love the actors. The energy between people trying to do something together, to me, is so much more fun than, like, sitting by yourself with a computer, which I hate doing. And I resist it with full passion. <laughs> well, whatever you're doing, it's certainly working. I hope so. I mean, I know we're in season 800 of this thing, but... No, no, 789. Not, not quite there yet. <laughs> but there's some, like, doozies coming down the road that I'm... I think are really strong and you know, the world is extra crazy these days. So it's lots of good fodder for us to like, like, I don't know. I, I feel like running out of ideas is the last is my last problem. It's more just making the emotions of each show work in a way that Jim Brooks is going to respond to, which means AKA they're good. Is Jim Brooks like, is he dad around the Simpsons set? Oh yeah. He comes to every table read and all the story pitches and he's really involved. Wow. And you know, He's like your main audience at the table read because if he's not liking it, A, he's not wrong, and B, you got work to do, you know? And But he but he'll, he, he like pitches story ideas and like a great one I have coming up that I think is kind of in the vein of, of Halloween of horror, like a, a Lisa is, is disturbed episode. Poor Lisa, she just gets tortured in so many shows. But he pitched an idea where Lisa kind of goes on the sleepover from hell and she thinks it's with a new friend and really it's with Mean Girls and we just said that's a great premise to like take all the satirical stuff we have and all this all these ideas about what it's like to be a mean girl in the age of influencers and social media 
and 1% wealth and all these things, these targets, these satirical targets that really like slash hate. And it's, it's really like a, it's like a sad, traumatic, realistic kid horror. It's kind of like Get Out, but for yeah. a young white girl. <laughs> Well, that sounds pretty good. That's the kind of thing you can maybe pitch. I'll show you your daughter and if she approves, then I guess you're on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. I really want like a kid to watch this and think, oh my God, if I were on that sleepover, I would lose my mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the stake, what are the stakes? Are You know, they're not going to get murdered. You know, the next day they're going to get picked up from the sleepover. But when you're a kid, a bad sleepover feels like a complete nightmare. Oh, 100%. And I think that's why Halloween of Horror works so much is because... I mean, like you said, you know the characters aren't going to die, but in that moment, you weren't thinking that. You were genuinely worried and concerned for the characters. That is the goal. Have you ever been to a table read? you got to come to LA and check one out. Well, the invitation's never been there, but now that's there, I will take you up on that because that would be another dream come true. <laughs> got to do it. Alrighty, guys. Well, don't forget uh, to check out Simpsons Season 31. As Matt's teased, there's plenty to look forward to. Premieres in the US on September 29th, so be sure to check that out and follow Matt on Twitter. He's at Matt Salmon. Matt, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and all the best for the coming season. Right. And we all I just remember, we also have another super offensive Australian character coming up. Ooh. Voiced by an Australian actor or? Uh, we tried to get an Australian actor. I'll say we, some, several of the Australian actors said no. So right. we had to go with an American pretending to be an Australian. <laughs> I'm going to say, I bet you Rebel Wilson was one of those people, right? Not I'd love to have Rebel Wilson on the yeah, show. Yeah, she, she'd be perfect for the show, I think. Yeah. Like plenty of that stuff. I Didn't you guys do a podcast about the like kind of light cu- cultural, whatever, insensitivity of the Spard versus Australia episode? Well, see, we love that though. And so many people when it first aired were outraged by it. But that's like a, a, a badge of honor for Australian fans that episode now. We love it. Oh, and I got to give a shout out to our one of our Australian uh, animators, Matt Sofield. Oh, what a, what a champion. He's awesome guy, and he, he actually helped us make the Australian gibberish we had these characters say even more insane. And I make fun of him relentlessly in our storyboard meetings when he has some funny. Australians are the last safe people to make fun of. Once you take that away, wrap it up. Yeah, exactly right. Because that, that's sort of that's who we are. We we, we we take the piss as we say. Like we make jokes at each other's expense, but that's just who we are. We don't take it to heart. Good. I, I admire you. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me today. And like again, the Premier's coming up. There's this Thanksgiving of horror. I know you don't have Thanksgiving in Australia, but it's a real monster mind mess of a show with like, it's gonna, it will disturb the children. So that, that was the goal for that. Well, look, I'm going to be honest. I'm now more excited for that episode than I have been for any other for a very long time. All right, come to LA and have come to a read as a reward for your amazing podcast. That certainly, it means the world. Thank you so much. Uh, all the best with everything and um, hopefully get to chat to you again in the future. All right, thanks so much, man. Shh.